Hey, Chris. I'm glad you're here too, buddy. If you have your Bibles, today we're going to be getting a new sermon series. We've been talking about building the kingdom of God for a little while. But I've found that we understand that there's a kingdom. We understand that there's work to be done in order to, to build that kingdom and continue to, to push back the darkness and expand the borders of the garden and all those kind of things. And if you came to Sunday school that morning, this morning, we did a, did a quick review on the dominion mandate and what that means and, and what it looks like as we build the kingdom. But today, I, I want to start giving us some specifics. I want to start bringing, building the kingdom of God all, all the way down deep into, into every facet of our lives. And, and today we're going to start doing that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to be doing verses 1 through 10. Now, what's interesting about Acts chapter 19, these first 10 verses, just 10 verses take place over the course of about three years, Okay. So as we're going into this, I want you to be, be reminded that we're, we're condensing this a lot. The Bible's condensing these events a lot. And so what we're going to try to do is get about a, about a 35,000 foot view about what the Lord is doing here in, in these passages and how Paul and the, and the church, the newly established church, is beginning to really, really take this task to hand and, and what it looks like for God's church to advance the kingdom of God. It's going to give us that up high 35,000 foot view of, of how the, the kingdom of God progresses. But I want, to, I want to lay down and hone down one. I want to convince you of one thing today. Okay, now I'm, We're going to give the process and we're going to talk about I, I see clearly there's five steps that happen as the kingdom of God advances. And we're going to get to those and all that different stuff later. But I really want us to get one thing drilled down all the way down deep into our hearts today. We are in the long game. Amen? Kingdom advance, kingdom building is the long game. And it's been going on for the last 6,000 years. If we trace it all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the fall of man, and all the way up to, to Noah coming off of the ark, and all the way forward to Jesus giving his, his great commission to his disciples, we see that it's one long mission. God gave Adam and Eve the, the task of, of working and keeping the garden. And then as, and, and, and they said things like, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then fast forward to Genesis chapter 9, we talked about this this morning, whenever, whenever Noah gets off the boat after God has wiped everybody else off of the planet because of their evil ways, he says to them, what? He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then whenever Jesus in Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 gives his great commission, he says, make disciples of all nations. In other words, he's restating that same dominion mandate that, is set, that has been said throughout the scriptures. Go forth, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The mission hasn't changed. And it's been going for 6,000 years. And it would be foolish of us to think that now because we're on the scene, we're going to do this a lot faster. No, my friends, we are playing the long game. Here's my big point. Real fruitfulness, okay? Real Christian fruitfulness takes time. It takes time. And it takes faithfulness in the, in the little tasks all along the way. Think, think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Be fruitful 
multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. It's not like the population of the world went from one to a thousand like that. There was time. They had kids to raise and train up and, and grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They had, they had gardens to work. And if you've ever, if you've ever worked in, in the earth, right? If you've ever done that kind of work, you plant the seed and then, and then what? You, you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. And, and it might honestly take you many, 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 many seasons of growing any kind of plant, of caring for any kind of animal before you finally get to the point where you say to yourself, you know what, I think I know what I'm doing now. We, we planted a garden in our backyard. We're on like year four of this garden. And I just now think that I know how to do it. <laughs> it's taken years of me do, doing it wrong over and over and over and over again and, and reading and studying and learning and honing skills. And the same is true for the kingdom of God. We are in the long game, the game of discipleship, the game of Christian maturity, the game of raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, the game, the game of, of making our, our workplaces as Christian as we possibly can within our spheres of influence, the, the game of, of bringing down what the Lord has told us to do into every single facet and fiber of our lives. It takes time. It takes time. And a lot of work and a lot of mistakes along the way. When we first begin the Christian walk, for many of us, many of us it was, it was from our childhood, but for some of us it was, it was older. When we first began the Christian walk, think about it with me for just a second. You barely knew anything. Amen? Didn't know nothing. And you desperately needed somebody to come alongside you and say, hey, don't do that. <laughs> Amen? We needed that in our lives as believers, especially as young Christians. And let me tell you, for some of you in this room who are, who are young Christians, or maybe you're just beginning to take your faith seriously for the first time in your life, you need those people with you. You need mature believers who love you enough to come alongside you and say, I see what you're trying to do, and it's great, but you're doing everything wrong. And I love you enough to say it. <laughs> That's what we all need in our lives. And it's the, the long game, that tedious, arduous task of putting one foot in front of the other, the Christian walk that the Lord has called us to do, and to be faithful to it, even the little tiny things, especially, especially the little tiny things. We've got a lot to learn. We've got a lot of wisdom to acquire and a lot of experience to be given to us by the Lord to hammer those lessons home. And here in today's text, it takes three years. Three long years. And I don't mean like three years of they went to church once a week and heard a sermon for 45 minutes. According to today's text, to today's text if you read several different versions of the original manuscripts, you see that Paul was teaching them daily for nearly five hours a day. Five hours. Can you imagine that? He was doing boot camp for three years. <laughs> and it took that much time for real fruit to be seen. And we'll, we'll talk more about this. But real fruitfulness takes time. Real fruitfulness. Real fruitfulness, okay? For you young men that are here, 
and you're just now beginning, you're about to finish school and you're, you're about to move in and start your life on your own and, and have, some, have, some, have some responsibilities that really are yours and it's gonna be, it's gonna be sink or swim time. Amen, church? Y'all remember that, young men, whenever you left the house for the first time and, and it was sink or swim time and the mistakes that you made, those were your mistakes now. <laughs> there wasn't any other way around it. God bless the young men that we have in this church that are getting ready to step out in their lives on that way. Get ready. It's coming. The long work before you is coming, and it will be good for you. Real fruitfulness takes time. Let me say it a different way. Real fruitfulness takes long-term faithfulness. Write that down someplace, okay? Real fruitfulness, real Christian fruitfulness takes long-term faithfulness. And faithfulness in what we all consider, I think, to be the small things. You know what one of the things are that, that amazes me about my kids? So I've got, I've got older kids now. I've got a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. And I'll talk to my 13-year-old or 10-year-old. You know, you, know, you know how sometimes you're hanging out as a family and you'll just start storytelling? Do you all ever do that? You all just start story. Remember whenever you were little and you did this and it was like this? You know what I've found interesting? is my kids remember stories that I don't remember. You know what I'm saying? I'm not that old. <laughs> my kids remember stories that I don't remember. For better and for worse, right? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. But I get to see a glimpse of how little tiny bits of faithfulness Whenever I didn't even think my kid would remember this stuff, you know, they're like three years old, translates into joy and maturity and growth later in their lives. Real faithfulness, real fruitfulness takes long-term faithfulness. Today we're going to talk about the slow goings of the kingdom of God and Paul's ministry specifically in Acts chapter 19. And I want to also hammer home this word. Do you know who the true progressives are? Oh, yeah, you're listening now, aren't you? You are. Christians. Real progress in the world comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Real, true, moving forward of the culture of the world, real progress comes from God's church. And the idea that that word has been hijacked by people who don't know what a boy is and how they hate the idea of the, of the doctrines of marriage and, and murderers of children. The idea that that word has been hijacked is a terrible shame. We need to reclaim it. You want real progress? You want to be truly progressive? Bathe in his word and learn from his church. Let's look. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. There they are, disciples. Look at that. <laughs> you can tell it's a 35,000 foot view of this situation. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, some translations and some manuscripts argue about that little statement there. Um, and I think a better way to understand it is more a literal rendering of that particular text, which is we did not know that the Holy Spirit had been sent yet. Okay, that's more of what a, a literal rendering of that text would look like. And he said, into what were you baptized? Paul's like, y'all don't know about the Holy Spirit? 
into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. Verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when, the, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You saw that? Now, I, I don't think it means Asia in the sense that we mean Asia, but I do think it means Ephesus and the surrounding region, okay, which is still a lot of people. It's a lot of people in a short window of time. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both the Jews and Greeks. Let's pray, and then we'll begin today. Father, thank you that we get to hear and heed your word. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would instruct us, that you would teach us, that you'd call us to repentance this day, and that you would help us to lean in and trust you above everything else. Father, I thank you that you give us an opportunity to be a church that can gather today to worship you. Father, I thank you for children, and I thank you for the fruitfulness that we have seen in the Kuhn family in the last year. And I pray that you would continue to bless that. Lord, I thank you that we sit in a room full of fruitfulness, and may we continue to be faithful in all the small things. And may we see fruitfulness for generations and generations to come. Help us to hear and heed your words this morning, and I pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. All right. I think in this text, we can draw about five conclusions out about how the kingdom of God grows and expands. I think we can see them pretty simply, and I'm going to talk through each one of those five. I'm going to spend more time on the first two or three than I am in the last two. But I want us to see exactly in our lives how should we expect to advance the kingdom of God. And I think we can see that here today. So number one, I got five of them for you, okay? Five ways that you and I, and this is sequential, this is a sequential order of events here, meaning this one thing happens before the next. I see five things here of how the kingdom of God advances. Five things that we should do and be aware of. The first one is the groove is greased. You ever heard that expression before? Grease the groove. You ever heard that expression before? What I'm trying to say, look at Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Look at that one again with me. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth... Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. <laughs> there they were, disciples. Let me ask you, did Paul put those disciples there? No. In fact, did, did Paul plan out his whole trip so that he could go and meet up with these disciples along the way? No. Paul went this way because Apollos was over here doing this other thing, and along the way, Paul found disciples. In other words, the Lord started the work before Paul even showed up. You see that, right? The Lord started the work before Paul got there. That's what I mean by the groove is greased. That, that's what I mean. The work has been prepared before he even stepped into it. And isn't that what the promise of the scripture is? 
that, that we are being prepared for good works to walk in them. And the good work, they're prepared in advance for us. That's the promise of the Bible. It's, it's not that we have to write a perfect five-year plan and it must hold up. No, you don't have to carry that. Isn't that good news? You don't have to carry that pressure. You don't have to make sure that you do every single little thing along the way. The Lord is preparing your works before you even get there, just like he did with Paul. This is a clear promise of the scriptures. Now, these guys didn't have it all figured out, though, right? The disciples that were on site, Paul noticed that pretty quickly. And he's like, uh, have you all received the Holy Spirit? And we don't see exactly what happened there. But something happened that was indicative to Paul that something was a little off with these disciples. But, you know, they were trying. They, they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. Obviously, there was some kind of issue. They were still operating out of John's baptism and not a, a baptism of Jesus. But they were underway. Their hearts had been softened. The groove had been greased. They were, they were ready to receive the word of the Lord. They had just enough understanding and transformation to be considered disciples. And not to mention all that, but Paul just happened across them. Paul's walking around and he's like, oh, look, disciples. This is the same thing that you and I should be watching for in our lives. The Lord prepares the way before us. The Lord gives us opportunities before us. We don't have to make every single thing happen. And so one of the first things that we as God's people should be doing is looking for opportunities. Look, where is the work of the Lord already happening around you? Where, where are hearts already being softened? Where are, where are you gaining access to proclaim God's truth to more and more people each and every day? And we talked about this several weeks ago, if you remember. The idea of, of proclaiming God's commands to someone else, and some folks would reject it outright, right? But some would at least listen. And maybe they don't tar and feather you right on the spot. But they indicate that maybe they'd be willing to hear more and they'd receive more. And, and now you see where the Lord is working. You get me? Now you see your opportunities to go and continue to, to follow in what the Lord has already done. Where, where, where the, gre- the groove, the grease, is, the groove, there it is. Got it, got it. The groove's already been greased. The, the work's already been, been laid before you. And sometimes these opportunities are just moments and sometimes these opportunities are, are long-term endeavors. So let me ask you very clearly, where has, maybe we could think about it this way, where has the ground been prepared before you? Do you know what I'm saying? Where, where, where has the work been started for you to just participate in what the Lord is already doing? I could ask a couple of simple questions. Um, do you got kids? The ground has been prepared. <laughs> right? Because you, you got children, and you know what the Lord tells you to do with those children. So do it. What do we do? We raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Let me ask you another. Do you, do you have a job? No? Okay, well, get one, because the Bible calls us to work, and we should work and be diligent with our hands. Amen? We should be. But if you've got one, then what does the Bible say we should do with our work? We should do all things as unto the Lord. Amen? And we should work diligently and labor and, and honor the Lord in all of our work. And all this. See, it's not as complicated as we think it should be. It's not that hard. 
Where is the Lord already? It's not like we have to sit down and ham shamalaka and wait for the lightning bolt to strike. It's not like that. Now, I, I had a friend of mine who was asking me if they should do a career change. And I said, well, do you have any other job offers? And they said no. And I was like, well, then no. <laughs> the Lord has spoken. <laughs> right? What if I hate my job? Do you have any other job? No. Okay. Not yet. Are you looking? No, maybe you should look. <laughs> you know, like, there's all kinds of conversations. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. I'm waiting for the Lord to speak to me on this. Are you reading the Bible? No. Well, I know how the Lord talks. And he's very conveniently written it down in a book. Right? All of this is here. It's not, it's not, it's not rocket science. Uh, I had an opportunity this past week. I went to a little luncheon. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Okay, I went to a little luncheon. Um, it was for, like, our parish tourism area, and, and I was texting with some buddies of mine, and I was thinking the whole time I was at the luncheon, I was like, man, I wonder if I should just, just start, like, saying distinctly Christian things in the middle of this and just blow this whole meeting up. I mean, I don't know. I'm here. Why don't I just do it? And I was like, man, I don't know. Some of that's going to be casting pearls before swine. And I, I don't know if this is the right time to do things like that. I just don't know. I'm not sure. And I kid you not, 30 seconds later, the guy who's the keynote speaker at the event looks at me and he says, hey, Stuart, what do you think we should do to make education better in St. Landry Parish? <laughs> and I was like, you know how you have that moment where you're like, me? <laughs> me? Like, me? 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 You mean me? I didn't do a super deep dive with them, you know. I didn't, like, jump all the way in. But I did say just enough to make everybody look at me like I was a space alien. And that was okay. Well, it's not about education. It's about the family. And the family's in disrepair and destruction and, and fallen into total disarray in the region in which we live. And if we repair the family, then everything else falls into place. And what was shocking to me after the fact is how many people totally agreed with everything I said, but they were terrified to say it because they didn't want to look like a space alien, you know? I get it. I think there's opportunity for all of us there. If we proclaim boldly the way that the Lord has designed the culture in which we live to work and to operate, you'll find that there will be those who receive along the way. And every now and then the Lord gives us those little moments, right? Those little flashes to be faithful in. It was scary. I got to tell you, it was scary. Heck yeah, it was scary. But I hope I was faithful. And sometimes these opportunities are not just flash in the pan moments, but they're, they're long-term endeavors. Look at our church. We've been doing this for eight years, y'all. And I got to tell you, we look nothing like what we looked like eight years ago. Amen? And the beautiful growth and Christian maturity that we have seen that's already happening generationally inside of just this building, inside of just this congregation, the Lord has been so faithful to us. All of these beautiful moments, you've got these opportunities. So, number one, look to see where the Lord has greased the greased, 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 the groove. See, I, I knew it. the alliteration is going to kill me. I knew it was. 
Look for the opportunities the Lord has given you. Look for where he is greasing the groove before you and walk in that way. Amen? Well, that's number one. Second one is the power of the Holy Spirit. Look back at Acts 19, verses 2 through 7. Acts chapter 19, verses 2 through 7. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. And and there was about 12 men at all. So something happened, right? Remember we said this at the beginning. Something happened where Paul was like, uh, y'all are missing something. Y'all, something, something's off here. Something happened. Remember, this is over the long course of time. So it's not like Paul showed up and he said, y'all broken, Holy Spirit. You know, it's not like that, okay? There was some time that elapsed. They had relationships and Paul was like, y'all got the Holy Spirit and then maybe a little bit of time and then they were baptized and maybe a little bit of time and then they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he realized something was off about these new believers. And he diagnosed the problem very quickly and very precisely it was that they didn't have any power, okay? Now, here's what I mean by that. I don't mean like hamshamalaka power, okay? I'm not talking about that. But they didn't have any power. What is the primary gifts of the Holy Spirit? Y'all remember? The primary gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Bible makes this very clear, is I will put, this is Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within you and do what? And cause you to walk in my statutes. So if we're unable to follow the commandments of the Lord, then that means that we don't have any power. It means that the Holy Spirit is not dwelling within us. I'm not saying we're going to do it perfectly because sin exists in the world and God's people stumble. That's why we need everlasting grace. But if we are unable to follow the Lord, you'll see the difference? Then that means that we don't have any power. The Holy Spirit is not within us and it's not causing us to walk in the Lord's statutes. John chapter 16, verse 8 says it this way. You can write this down. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the two primary gifts of the Holy Spirit are the conviction of sin and the causing of God's people to walk in his commandments in obedience. That's the two primary gifts. And so Paul notices that, well, that's not happening. So they must be missing something. Something happened where Paul realized the disciples didn't have the power. Something was off. And Paul knew that without that power, nothing was going to get done. Nothing was going to get done. No kingdom advance can look at me. This is important. No kingdom advance can be done apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. It cannot happen. You think you're going to build the kingdom of God by yourself? Give me a break. You can't. We barely have the strength to, to do anything that's honoring to the Lord. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus makes it plain right there. He says, if the Spirit of God is here, the kingdom of God is here. We cannot build the kingdom of God apart from His Spirit. No spirit, no kingdom advance. Now, this is incredibly important for us to understand, okay? And we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school this morning. But no reforms, listen to me, no reforms, no government programs, no church events, no evangelism strategy, no nonprofits, no parachurch ministry, none of it will do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. None of it. None of it. You will have no fruitfulness 
if the Holy Spirit is not awakening, convicting, emboldening God's people. The kingdom of God does not advance apart from the Holy Spirit. And if, if you think about this, remember in Acts chapter 17, whenever the accusation that's made against God's disciples, what are they doing? These men are turning the world upside down. Why? Because they're so smart? No. Because in Acts chapter 4, it describes the disciples as ordinary, unschooled men. In other words, they weren't that smart. But yet somehow, the whole world is just flipping upside down because, because of the work that, that these men are doing. No, it was the work of the Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus teaches clearly in Luke chapter 12, verse 12, that the Spirit will give them the words that they need to speak whenever they go before the kings of men. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, preacher, got it. But how do I know I'm working with the Holy Spirit? Quick litmus test. What are the two primary gifts of the Holy Spirit? Conviction of sin and repentance. How do I know I'm working with the Holy Spirit? Are you convicted of your sin? And do you repent? And if those two statements are true, guess what? You got Holy Spirit power. And the kingdom of God is advancing. But remember, it's little tiny ways every day. Every now and then you get one of those big moments, right? Every now and then you get one. Not often. And most of the time it's just when God wants to show off that he is actually in charge, not you. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. If you are convicted of your sin, if you repent of your sin, if you see growing and maturity happening in your life, and remembering that this is a slow and steady thing, that you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know the answer to that, then you need to talk to some older, wiser Christians. I don't know. Do I feel convicted? Oh, I don't know. And I, look, I understand the tension that you live and operate inside of. I get it. We've all been there before. But you need to loop in an older and a wiser Christian to help you with that question. Now maybe, okay, maybe I just asked, are you convicted of your sin and you repent? And the answer to both of those questions that you had just then are, I don't think so. No, I don't see it. And so the next logical question is, oh snap, how do I fix it? How do I fix this? Block eyeballs with me. You can't. You can't fix it. John chapter 3 verse 8, listen close. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't control it. Of course you can't control the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is God, right? Of course you can't control Him. It's not possible to control Him. He is God. But what can you do? You can ask. You see, this is why Jesus' illustrations of our faith being childlike are so important for us. This is why Jesus says, let, let the little children come to me. Let them come and let them ask and let them be clumsy and, and let them stain my robes and let them climb in my lap like that's okay because for such is the kingdom of God, right? You remember he said that, for such is the kingdom of God. That's the way that we ask. You get it? You ask like kids. And how do kids ask? They just ask. That's how kids work. You, know, you got you to make them not do that sometimes, right? 
But when you got a little kid, they walk up to a total stranger and they say, I can have that? And you sit there in horror and you say, no! But for such is the kingdom of God. We, we look and, and I don't know that I see conviction and I don't know that I see repentance and I don't know that I see these gifts in my life. Lord, can I have that? It's that simple. It's that simple. It's not complicated. It's not this specific exact prayer that you must pray a certain way. No. You want to be a part of the family of God and the kingdom of God operating with a forever inheritance? Lord, can I have that? Come on, bro. That was, that was y'all know who Vodi Bakum is, huh? That was his prayer. <laughs> Vodi Bakum's prayer of salvation is literally, Lord, you remember that thing that me and that guy have been talking about for a little while, that gospel thing? Can I have that? One of the greatest pre- preachers to live today. This is the way of the kingdom of Christ. The Holy Spirit is God. You can't control him, but you can ask like a child with open hands. Can, can I have that? Father, will you, can I have that? And then you enjoy his gifts. Amen? See, repentance, I say this all the time, is not a sad thing. Repentance is a joyful thing. Repentance is a gift from God that we receive with open hands and, and we, we break off our chains of sin and we run and we enjoy His gifts. We enjoy repenting. We enjoy walking in light and life. And where the Spirit goes, the Word of God always grows. Right? Where the Spirit goes, the Word of God always grows. Y'all, for some of us, whenever we first became Christians, it was almost like, we were just addicted to the Bible, man. We couldn't put it down, and we, and we wanted to talk to other people about it, and we entered into this thing called the cage stage. Y'all ever heard the cage stage before? Cage stage Christians is where you first really start believing in what the Bible says, and like you're like going in hard and talking to everybody about it. And the theory is maybe we should just lock you away for the first couple of years. That's why we call it cage stage. No, I don't think so. Let them swing. Let them swing. Where the Spirit of God goes, His Word grows. And that brings us to number three. So we got... Number one, the groove was greased. Number two, the Spirit came and gave power. And number three, there was faithful instruction. Look at verse 8, Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly. Now, remember I said earlier, some manuscripts, and if you got little, little notes, you know, like if you got one of those fancy Bible apps and you got the little notes that you can punch around that, the little additives, some manuscripts say for five hours a day. So what you're understanding here is he was teaching every day for three months for five hours a day. I'm sure he was, you know, probably taking a Sabbath at some point or another. And he was reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. He faithfully taught every day for three months. And people listened. Whoa. Now, y'all know that's a miracle in and of itself, right? Have you ever worked in education before? And you go and you teach, and at the end of 30 minutes, you're like, are they still listening? <gasps> they are! Like, that's, it's a miraculous moment. This man went and taught every day for five hours a day, and the people listen. That's Holy Spirit power. And he was teaching them the way of life. Now, if you look throughout the New Testament, you see often the church is referred to as the way. Where do we get that from? Jesus said what? I am the way and the truth and the life. 
Now, what does he mean the way? Often we think immediately, the way to heaven, right? But I think that's mixing metaphors. Because there are other things about the narrow path and the wide path and the narrow gate and the wide gate. Like, those are other metaphors that are out there. But I think a more proper way to understand the way is to understand it as the way of life. Because, bro, what's he teaching for five hours a day for three months? He's teaching Christian living. He's teaching what it means to follow Jesus in every single aspect of life. What it means to be a Christian all the way down. He's teaching a way of life and a new way of life that was comprehensive in all things. Which means that teaching, real teaching, takes time. It takes time. It's, this is not something that we get 45 minutes once a week. It's not going to work that way. Okay? It, it, is, it is something that we must submit ourselves to regularly over time. In the United States, Christians struggle to just go to church every week. People are categorized by Barna and by Pew Research panels as faithful church attenders if they go twice a month. Twice a month, right? What university on this planet is going to give you a degree if you do coursework twice a month for 45 minutes? None of them. And yet we think that this is how we can understand the way of life that Jesus is teaching that is contrary to the world around us? How on earth could we understand? It's not possible. Teaching takes time. And we wonder why Christians are blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine so easily. It's because it's because 45 minutes a week at best is not enough. To learn a completely new way of life from the ground up takes time. It takes commitment to study. It takes instruction. And it takes humility. Here's what I mean by that. Because humility is required for us to be able to say, I need to be taught. Right? So, so like, if, if you can't say, I need to be taught, if your disposition is, I already know, then you're not going to learn that. You're not going to be able to grow. You're not. If you're wondering why you're stagnant in your Christian life, maybe that's why. Maybe because you think you figured it out already. And you're not, you're not willing to walk with a disposition of humility in order to be taught and instructed by the word of God. And the Bible requires that of us. It, the disposition of Christians should be, is that we need instruction. This is why God wrote his words down for us in a book and handed it to us so that we could study it. And learn it and read and, and grow in his calling. This is why God sent us pastors and elders specifically with Holy Spirit gifts of teaching. Because we must be humble enough to know that we don't know everything. 